As, as Willie Nelson once said to Paul regarding Mickey Rayfield, the harmonica player, he said, Paul, this is when Mickey was 17, just, just joining him. He said, Paul, is uh, Mickey any good? Paul said, he's great. And, Mick, and Willie said, double his salary. They weren't paying him anything. They didn't pay him anything for the first couple of years. Welcome to the Lone Star Play Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Join me and a famous guest every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We discuss their career, life, food, Texas, and everything in between. Let's get started. Yeah, that that hat is, um, I I gotta say, Kinky, that is a -a one-of-a-kind hat. I don't think I've ever seen a hat even remotely close to that. Did you make that? You haven't. No, it was um, this earlier this year. Whenever the last tour I did was, we drove about 1,200 miles to get to St. Paul. As a, <clears throat> at any rate, this guy, a very old man, uh, gave me uh, this hat after the show. It's part of a sec- uh, either a secret chicken society <laughs> or, or a sacred chicken society. <laughs> and uh, Bob, Bob Dylan is a member. And... I take this. Hank Williams was a member, <laughs> and I all the, I mean that means that somebody gave Hank a chicken hat like this when he came to St. Paul. The one guy who makes them, you know. And it's um, well, to be frank, it's brought me seven years of bad luck. <laughs> no, no, it hasn't really. It's been, it's been, it's been really something. And um, I mean, it's. Does he make other kinds of hats? Like, you know, no, 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 no. Other just, make, <laughs> just makes a chicken hat and, um, and dispenses only to very people that are very important to him. Nice. I don't know what, uh, Bob Dylan did with his. I know that, uh, Bob once gave me a Jesus coat, which is a long, beautiful black coat made by nudity in Hollywood. And the coat has Jesus's face on it and um, rainbows and highways and all kinds of palm trees and all that sort of thing. Oh, wow. And then, uh, I mean, it's, and Bob wore it to a couple of shows and he gave it to me. That uh, was right around the time of uh, Rolling Thunder. So it'd be in 1976. Oh, wow. And uh, then I let a friend of mine who won't be mentioned, uh, talk me into uh, putting it up for auction. The co- he made you put the jacket up for auction. I, I yeah, right at that. <laughs> it was really bad. So anyway, it sold for some ridiculously low price, seventy five hundred or something, to the electric matzo ball in Jerusalem or someplace that we'll never find it. <laughs> and uh, it was um, so. Then later, I saw. Bob do a show in New York, and I had my friend uh, Mike McGovern with me, who has since uh, been bugled to Jesus. But uh, after the show, I was going backstage to see Mike, to see uh, Bob, and I brought Mike with me, and one of the guys came up, and he said, oh, no, he's just, just you. He said, you can't bring anybody back here. He just wants to see you, okay, one-on-one. I went back there, and I told Bob that I, we talked for a while, and I, he asked me how the Jesus coat was doing. 
And I said, I have an auction, or I decided to auction it. And Bob said, bad move. <laughs> Which, of course, it was. It was. It was a bad move. That's a ridiculously bad move. But, I mean, you can't mourn that your whole life. It's a... Look, like you said, it was really this other person pressuring you, who, who shall remain nameless. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was an advisor. An advisor. In an and that, yeah. And that, speaking of letting people influence you, <laughs> I want to briefly relate the story of Polycritus. Polycritus! Polycritus! <laughs> Polycritus was a famous uh, Greek, he, he was an ancient Greek sculptor. And, uh, and this is a true story. Polycritus was assigned two statues, two new statues, uh, and to sculpt and to be placed in the city square of Athens. And so he got to work in one, he set up shop in his living room, and the other one he put in his bedroom, and he worked out of separate stations there. And the one in the living room, anybody who came in, there was a friend or something might say, you know, that guy's eyes, you've got the eyes a little too close together. And Polycritus would fix it. Another guy came in, he said, the leg is too long. And Polycritus would fix it. And so forth. He would take in under advisement everybody's opinion. The one in his bedroom, he never let anybody see or talk to or meet or anything. Never, No one saw it but him. So the day of the... Um, unveilings comes i don't know are you going into a diabetic coma patrick or you still oh, with us oh, the story are you kidding me i'm hanging on every word of this uh all you have to remember is polycritus yeah. polycritus polycritus <laughs> so polycritus <laughs> was not a member of the sacred chicken society he predated that <laughs> hank williams could have been it's that crazy a world I mean, at the end, towards the end of his life, he might have treasured such a thing. He might, he might have. At any rate, where was I on Polycritus? So Polycritus. Statue in his room. He came down right. So both statues were veiled at the town square on the same day, the same time. And they, they un first they unveiled the statue that everybody had uh, commented on and he made changes on and the people spit on it and they were jumping up and down they thought it was horrible they thought it was the worst piece of art they'd ever seen in their lives and the media of course was all there all the art critics and everybody and they all said oh this is miserable this is horrible and um and, and they threw things at the statue, and it was kind of like the way they're treating statues today. Okay. They did this back then to this statue. Then they all walked about 20 feet over to the other side, and the statue that he did by himself in the bedroom was unveiled. And a place just erupted in cheers. And the people were, and a critic said, this is a transformational, transcendental piece of art this is brilliant and that's what everybody thought and that they thought you know and then later a critic one of the critics came up to talk to 
Polycritus? And he said, Polycritus, I just have one question for you. How is it possible that the same hand and the same man could create something that bad and something this brilliant? And he said, because you did that one and I did this one. <laughs> Polycritus! Polycritus! <laughs> Oh, that's a story of Paul Critters. I love that. I think that's the first time I've ever done that in any media forum. How long was that? It's about a nine-minute story, what? but it's uh, worth it. It's got a, it's a very, very important lesson in this, boy. Be love Paul Critters and realize don't let anybody tell you anything. You know, I mean, if it's in the arts, if you're dealing in the arts, you want to be an artist. You want to be an artist? Don't listen. Don't do it. Don't let the committee decide. And that's probably my main knock against country music today is it's all created by the people in the living room. I see. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So you feel like the the raw sort of, you know, songwriting and, you know, right. you know, storytelling is now being told f from another perspective. Right. Sort of hijacked, maybe in a way. Hijacks a good word for it. And. I, you've got songs written by 15 people. I mean, I'm just, yeah, no joke. Some of this, uh, true. And everything is about partying or tailgating. So, uh, yeah. now they'll, they'll change to something else, but a song written by seven people could probably, you know, a committee, like a conference call usually results in nothing great. That's a good point. Well, it's like a director of a movie, right? It's one director, one vision, one, because if you were to have seven director, I mean, it would just be a nightmare, but that can happen with scripts too, right? Where they have too many writers on a script and you can tell from the story that it's too combobulated or go too many tones, too many different directions. Is that sort of basically what can happen in a song too? Just too many, too many cooks in the kitchen. Absolutely. Well, that's part of the problem. The other part is that writing is a lonely, monastic job. I mean, it's, it's, and songs are not given much credit anymore. And people never have appreciated writers down through history. They think the star of the movie wrote, wrote the movie or the, sure. oh, or the I... producer did, you know, really the guy who wrote the script has, has a lot to do with it. Yeah. And I never got his due. And that's true of, uh, Oh, a lot of great writers, uh, none of which leap to mind, uh, <laughs> all moved out to Hollywood at the end of their careers. Yeah. Uh, William Faulkner was one. Uh, Raymond Chandler was another. Two great writers. And Raymond Chandler would say, he said, there's scarcely anything in literature is worth a damn except what is written between the lines. Oh, wow. And I think there's an awful lot of truth to that one. Sure. So you want, in the last record that I made, uh, Resurrection, Yeah. the songs I later discovered are all about dead friends or dead people. But, so I, I see dead people, apparently, and <laughs> I didn't think, I mean, I didn't even acknowledge it. I, they were kind of so much a part of my life. But uh, many of the songs... Uh, to reflect that. And step one, 
toward writing is, and I have the same problem anybody does. Do I want to try to win some award or do I want to pander to some category? Like, oh, let's make it sound like Americanos. Uh, you know, let's do it in a way that radio friendly, you know? Yeah. So that's part of the reason I got Larry Campbell to produce the record because he is, he's a music man. He's a true music man. He's not trying to play it in any way you can. But the truth is, the last time, do we have anything to drink at all? No. Water. Diet. Uh, Something, right? I call that drink. <laughs> diet hemlock. I'd like a little diet hemlock. There you go. So you want to be miserable, Patrick. That's step one. Yeah. <laughs> if you can be miserable, you got a chance as a songwriter realizing that songs are no longer appreciated like they used to be. And yeah. in the 70s, they were. There was a guy like Chris Christopherson, yeah. who was the most talented janitor in Nashville. He was working as a janitor on Music Row. That's crazy. <laughs> it's real crazy. and um, Absolutely crazy. And then Billy Swan, who was a close friend of Chris's, Chris would come back from these trips he did to the Gulf where he was flying a helicopter for the oil rigs. And Chris had just started writing songs, or at least publicly trying to get them published. And he, he and Billy came back with a, this guy that was a publisher there, gave him a challenge. He said, why don't you write a song about a man who's really a woman or people think he's a man, but he's a woman it's kind of novelty song. Sure. Now that emerged with a, about a dozen songs of Chris's that he brought back and he and Billy Swan stayed up all night, kind of making them into demos that were at least passable. Billy played piano and Chris played guitar. And one of the songs, was his novelty song. And that, of course, later became, or became, Bobby McGee. Oh, wow. And, and Billy and Chris did not realize this is one for the ages. This is, they didn't. Even when they came back, when they edited this stuff, they weren't saying, boy, this, hey, Mexican Coke. I'd rather have Mexican mouthwash. Yeah. That, you ever had that do it i love that stuff the bottle is the best like that that's the real stuff real cane sugar uh, that's the best well anyway chris uh, another story about chris was he came up um uh, as a janitor still working as a janitor nobody knows his name and my friend will hoover who wrote some pretty great songs uh, the Tina Turner and all a bunch of weird people recorded. Oh, wow. But Hoover was invited to the, uh, was it something, a uh, Hall of Fame show that's been discontinued, thank God. <laughs> but it was some kind of an award show that Waylon would have hated. <laughs> and, uh, and Glenn Campbell was a big thing that year. So I don't know what year that puts that, but I know that Glenn... I, I once I, I I met Glenn a few times towards the end of his life, and uh, 
I had seen that documentary on him on Alzheimer's. Did you see that by any chance? I didn't. Well, or maybe I might have. What, what was it called? Do you remember? It was, no, I just remember it was a it was a documentary uh, done by James Keach. Okay, no, I, I don't. Uh, well, well, whatever it was, it's a brilliant documentary on uh, on Glenn Campbell, and in it, I mean, you just can't watch it with a dry eye. Yeah, I mean, Glenn is going out on stage for the last performance he'll probably give in his life. He doesn't know what town he's in. Oh man, he doesn't realize that the other musicians are all his children, Ugh. and his son is like holding him by the shoulders and guiding him to the microphone. And then the boy lets go. And Glenn, when Glenn starts with, I am a lineman for the count. Jesus Christ is perfect. The whole song is right. He's like Willie without smoking a dope. I mean, Willie never misses a note, never, never forgets a lyric. It's incredible. And Glenn with the Alzheimer's, not knowing any, any of this stuff. Then they have another poignant scene where uh, Paul McCartney, comes backstage to congratulate Glenn, just to say, man, I love you, I love your music. And Glenn says, thanks, buddy. And I mean, he does obviously does not have a clue as to who Paul McCartney is, but that's the yin and the yang. Maybe that's the way it should be. Wow. What was I yapping about? Jesus. That was a little, you should have cut me off there at the Glenn Campbell store. Now I got some bad news too today from the doctor. Oh no! He said, "Kinky, uh, I got some bad news for you. You've got AIDS, what? and you also have Alzheimer's." And I said, "Well, at least I don't have AIDS." There's <laughs> a little delay on that one, but it's it's still a very funny job. <laughs> but I am 75 years old. So I read at the 77-year-old level. It is a good joke. Yeah. It's a great joke. At least I don't have AIDS. It's a great joke, and very few people can actually do Alzheimer's jokes. You know, it's almost like a racial thing. You can't, you can't, in fact, you shouldn't even say the word racial. Whatever if you talk about it, even mention it. People think you're a racist. Yeah, that's right. Sensitive uh, times, uh, you know, now. You, you've been around a long time. You were, you, you tell know. Tell me about it. You you know you've, you've written you've you know obviously done all kinds of stuff. Um, what what do you think about the the changes now in in the climate exactly? Well, it's always a bad thing when a artist of any kind, a comedian or somebody, has to look over his shoulder and see if he screwed up or not. Sure. So uh, can't. Yeah, it's it's gotten very trite. Yeah. Very boring, and. Who's that guy? E.K.? He's a comedian. C.K. Oh, Louis C.K.? Louis C.K., that's right. Yep. So my friend Ratso is very close to Louis. I mean, he might have been the first cancellation guy who had a full, you know, he had, he had a major length, full length movie. All finished, you know, he had the TV rights sold to this and that. I mean, he was on the cusp of happening. Yeah, that's right. You're right. He had and to... suddenly, they take it all away. You would think that there would be some guy in Hollywood that had a lot of money that wanted to take a chance on doing a crazy movie. But no, no deal. And same thing with Kevin Spacey. 
Yeah. Might have been one yeah. of the greatest actors we have. And, uh, you know, you think somebody would take a shot with him after a while. Yeah. No, it's just like, it is very Stalin-esque. Very much like Stalin. It's not enough to kill you. They got to wipe out the street where you live and the family and everything else. Yeah, it is a great... The Street Where You Live might be a good song. The Street Where You Live. You're right. That That, that is a good name of... Uh, are you, have you... None of you guys know... Do you guys not even know that? The song from My Fair Lady? I have often walked on the street before, but the pavement always stayed between beneath... Not between my legs, but... <laughs> What's that? Between my legs before. And it's... When it goes by, I don't care if I can be here on the street where you live between your legs. <laughs> That's a song. <laughs> Never knew why the song didn't make it. No. You, yeah. <laughs> now, now, Patrick, you're of a generation who knows who Paul Newman is, right? Of course. Uh, I know who Paul Newman is. Yeah, I was born in uh, 1979. I mean, I'm not. No, you're, you're a young little booger. I bet but you still know who Paul Newman is. A hundred percent. And we were here, we're on the ranch, Echo Hill Ranch, and this summer for the first time we're doing a, a Gold Star camp. And it's not for, for families. There are one or two in the whole country, there's one or two like that. But there are none for children. And for 60 years my parents have run a camp for kids, for boys and girls here, called Echo Hill. Oh, and wow. Now, my sister and I are starting this thing, and she's directing it, uh, called Echo Hill Gold Star Camp. And it's for kids who have lost a parent in military action. And very soon we're starting up a, a, a first responder camp. And uh, that'll be the same way. That's amazing. So it's going to be great. And... Uh, I think, I mean, when I'm looking at, if you've ever seen a camp or a fairgrounds or someplace that nobody's in like for seven years, it gets it's really sad. This has all been fixed up, and some of it was fixed up, a lot of it, by military. Who are those military guys with? Do we know? What? Agnes Woodhead? I'm going deaf, so I What, a pelican? You see a pelican? That is... That, Military intelligence guys. Were they all military? No. There were about 40 military guys here. And they were mowing and painting and fixing the bunks. And they, none of these people took any money. It was all a volunteer deal. That's amazing. And it, was, um, it was a beautiful thing to see. And then we had a guy very recently, Don, who... Went through with, a, he's one of these old-time guys. He did do carpentry, electricity, plumbing. He did all that stuff. Everything. And then uh, we, we were ready to pay him, and he said, no. He said, I'm not taking any money. We said, well, at least let us pay you the expenses for what you did here. You know, he did a lot. Yeah, supply. And, uh, yeah, you know. yeah he, he said, no dice, not taking it. And after that started, we saw this spirit of charity. Uh, I mean, knowing me as a the first full-blooded Jew to ever appear on the Grand Ole Opry, as I was announced that night by <laughs> Hank Snow's son, the Reverend Jimmy Snow. They said that. <laughs> so uh, 
<laughs> and, and at any rate, as a Jew, it, it's it's a beautiful thing to see. And there's a lot of Christians with a lot of money who have better things to do and don't want to uh, don't want to donate at all. But there's been a lot of donations coming in. And by the way, anybody who wants to donate can go to echohill.org. And that will connect you up with the Gold Star Camp. And this is a basic camp. It's not a camp for psychiatrists or, or victims of PTSD or adults at all. It's for kids. Yeah. And uh, kids have been dealt not such a good hand in life. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be an adventure. There's going to be horses and uh, swimming and hiking and overnight hikes and cookouts and water hikes and every kind of crazy thing you can think of. Yep. And this will be the first week of June. We almost started this summer. I'm glad we didn't. Yeah, that's right. Because it's just, but uh, we figure by next summer, by the start of next summer, this ought to be worked out. Yeah, for sure. Well, that even gives you maybe even a little more time to just make sure everything's absolutely you know, cross the T's, dot the I's. Um, yeah. How did the, uh, you know, how did the pandemic um, hit you and, you know, your career? And did it, did you have shows and stuff you had to cancel? Yeah like that yeah yeah i really pulled the rug out from a bunch of shows in california yeah and i have about 10 shows coming up and i did one and um how was that how was doing that show well they threw tomatoes and rocks at me through most of the performance <laughs> oh, i'm sorry that was sam houston i mixed up <laughs> sam, sam houston the man who invented texas yeah you know, texas history <laughs> Uh, Sam Houston's last run for office was like mine was as an independent. And the Democrats of the day, I guess, right? There probably weren't any Republicans back then. But were there? No. But the Democrats, or whoever they were that was in the audience, I mean, the people, they did not want, they wanted to join the Confederacy. And Sam Houston was warning them, you kill all of the young people in our state. You don't do it. And so, um, so they threw rocks and tomatoes at him. The guy who founded Texas, who invented the state, you would think, would get a little respect. No. Uh, but, uh, and the two people who probably really did it was uh, Emily Morgan, um, the Yellow Rose of Texas, who kept Santa Ana occupied for 48 hours sexually, most of it sexually, and, and convinced uh, there was a 12-year-old kid who w worked for her, and she sent him on a mission to tell Sam, he had a horse, and tell Sam that I'll keep Santa Ana here for two days. And that's what you got, the time you got to, ca to capture the Mexican army or kill him. And if Sam noticed they were asleep over the bluff, he took them prisoner in 18 minutes. The entire Santa Ana's army was gone. Wow. And uh, and he chose, then he captured Santa Ana, and he chose not to kill him. Everybody in the state wanted Santa Ana dead because he killed men, women, and children that he captured at the Alamo. Yeah. And uh, Sam Houston was a very wise man, and he decided, no, we won't kill him. In fact, we won't even give him prison. We just have him agree that Texas is no longer his and no longer belongs to Mexico. It's its own state now. And 
if he signs a legal document on that, that's what we'll do. And that turned out to be a very Christian move and a very wise one. So, Wow. And that, that's how we got our state, just, just like that. And for more information, yeah, please go to somewhere on some website. We have um, a book of mine called Heroes of a Texas Childhood. 23 heroes of mine when I was a kid. Santa Ana is one of the big ones, yeah. Santa Ana is one of your heroes. Not Santa Ana, Sam Houston. Where's, where's another shot of that? Thing? And see, the problem is never do an interview without Mexican mouthwash. <laughs> I, I never do a show without it. I and, um, but Mexican mouthwash. I'm going to start using that. Uh, I'm, I'm, my, my mom's from uh, Mexico City. We, we drink that a lot. Oh, well, she, she will love this. And yeah. This is not, it's not your father's tequila, Patrick. <laughs> it, it's, your gran, it's your grandfather's gardener's tequila. And it's our own company, Mexican Mouthwash. Uh, the company is called uh, Man in Black. Yeah. And oh, Man in Black. Wait a second. Yeah, the title of the company and the um, the com company's coming back big. And I highly recommend this stuff. It's uh, I call it the Barry Manilow drink uh, because it makes you feel good for a short period of time. Is it a whiskey? No, it's tequila. It's tequila. Okay. It's yeah. tequila. How, how long has it been around? It's been in and out for about seven years. Okay. Because I used to run a restaurant uh, and bar in Dallas called Stampede 66. I had it. And uh, I actually, I think I'm the one that brought it into the bar. I, I remember. The man who created it. I, I, I remember them bringing that and me and us being like, okay, we'll, we'll sell it at the bar. I think, I, I don't know why. Well, the, the way to get it is go to Bandera, Texas. Yeah. And go to a place called spirits of Texas. And they have everything kinky in the store, every kinky memorabilia. Um, and they have everything kinky in the store. And the Mexican mouthwash that you sold was probably sold for about 28 bucks. This now is up to seventy bucks a bottle. Yeah, exactly. Because it's, yeah. it is that good. Yeah. And uh, Specs wants it from us, but we ain't letting anybody have it. So really, you can find it in Bandera. You'll also find that the entire town is now composed of cowboys and lesbians. Oh, <laughs> how or why that happened? And I'm not against it. I think can a lesbian be a cowboy too, though? Well. The cowgirl, I guess. That's a metaphysical question, Patrick. I'm not sure I have the answer to that. <laughs> oh, God. Tough, hard-hitting questions. So anyway, back to Christopherson and my friend Hoover. So <laughs> Hoover brought Chris down to the show, and they're outside. They can't get in, and, you know, after the show. And Glenn Campbell comes out. And Glenn Campbell doesn't even look at Christopherson because he's just kind of a scruffy guy. Nobody knew who he was. And... Glenn Campbell's actually has three women on one arm and three, three blondes and three brunettes. And he's, he is, um, really, what's my description for being drunk, drunk, the, when you're really drunk, Patrick, when you're really, <laughs> when you're really drunk, what do you call it? Smashed. Smashed is all right. Just smashed. It's, Fucked up. 
Oh, I, I, I don't know if you fucked up. Fucked up is a that's better what, one. Yeah. That, that's what right, I. So we are really. So Chris is there, but I'm gonna. So Glenn is pretty fucked up, and Glenn has this award. And he sees Hoover, who he recognizes. And he says, Hoover, he says, I'm going to record one of your songs. We're in the studio now working on it. And Chris is really impressed by this. That's great. Man. And of course, Glenn Campbell hasn't even recognized Chris. He doesn't say hello to him or nothing. He says, not only are we recording in the studio one of your songs, Hoover, I'm going to make it my next single. It's my next single. And then he gave Hoover his trophy that he'd won, his plaque or whatever the hell it was. Wow. And he gave him three of the girls and three to Christopherson. They were shy. They said, oh, well. <laughs> and there was a limo parked about 20 feet away. And so Glenn said, all right, Hoover, remember. And they drove off in a limo. And uh, Chris was just this skinny, scruffy guy. And he didn't, but he was over the moon with this good news for for Hoover. Yeah. And he said, Kenny, this is the greatest thing. Hoover, why aren't you more excited? He's going to do no, He's going to do it as a single. He, you got Glenn Campbell doing his next single will be your song. And Hoover said, just wait. That's not the way Hollywood works. He says, you'll see how Hollywood works. Let's see. When he records it, uh, then we'll celebrate. And of course, he never did record it. Never recorded any of Hoover's songs, and uh, and Chris went on to uh, to really be somebody that uh, everybody would be proud of, and even um, Merle Haggard. It was one day when Merle and Willie were walking down the street in Nashville, and and uh, Merle said, well, "Chris was hot, hot as fire." You know, he said, "I guess you got to admit we're." Christopherson is the greatest songwriter right now in in Nashville. And uh, Willie said, after you and me. <laughs> after you and me. That's right. And I did not forget anything. We definitely mentioned the uh, Gold Star Camp. And folks, just check it out. You can also find it where our new video is, I Love You When It Rains. Kinky Friedman, and I love you when it rains. Can be found on YouTube, and it's it's all interconnected now. So find out and just check out the uh, Gold Star Camp. So that's going to be well. That's going to be a big thing. Yeah. Right. Is is for everything. What is for everything? The website that you mentioned earlier. You're saying that address. What about like for you personally and your stuff? How do people, um, you know, stay in contact with you? Do you do you have any social? How do they? Do you want anybody to follow you on? No, I don't want to know anybody. <laughs> I don't want people. No, um, no, they can uh, go. They can go to KickyFriedman dot com. KickyFriedman dot com. Yeah, that's inner word with what's the one I always can't remember. Um, Twitter, the other one, Star, Instagram, Instagram, Twitter. TikTok, they got there a were, there were some beautiful pictures of Waylon with the Kingster. Nice. On, on Twitter, was it? Or was it? No, Instagram. I don't know. I don't know any of that stuff. I know. It's confusing. At all. I get confused on it, too. What? 
Well, it will be found. You can find it easy enough because people are making donations through PayPal, I guess. Yeah. And uh, that is a right. different yeah. thing for me. This is doing a purely charity camp. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I started to tell you when when these 40, there were 40 people from the Army, men and women, who came here and were working. And they, is that a beer? Yeah. Well, it's a Mexican beer. It's not Mexican mouthwash. <laughs> uh, Patrick, you're going to have to direct this interview a little bit because I wanted to tell you one more thing about how to drink Mexican mouthwash. There we for go. People, people that are maybe Yankees or they don't know. And if you're actually in Bandera or visit, uh, you will find that the way to do it is to lay out a line of salt. That's the first thing to do. A line of salt. <laughs> We're going to put this motherfucker there. A line of salt. And that's all you need. And, and a lime. A lime. And then what you do is you snort the, the, the salt. And you take the lime, the lime and squeeze it in your own eye. And then you drink this shot. That is a cowboy stuff. That's if you really want to drink Mexican mouthwash cowboy stuff. That's cowboy stuff. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I have yet to try that. I have accidentally done all of that. Um, not not on purpose. Um. <laughs> well, I love it. All I know is the uh, when these guys were up here, it was an inspiration. Uh, when the soldiers were. And uh, the kids are going to be more inspiring, I think. But um, next June. But, but these guys, we were taking a pizza break for lunch, and I said, "Look at this pizza box. You see what it says? It says 100% charity. 100% charity. Paul Newman. You guys know who Paul Newman is, don't you? I'm not asking you guys. You know Patrick. Yeah, yeah. Well, none of the 40 soldiers knew who the hell he was. No. And these, were sharp, these were sharp kids. In fact, they're much sharper than the average 40 kids that you would bring up someplace. So, <laughs> pardon me. Pardon me. Pardon the pig. So, anyway, nobody knew who Paul Newman was. One guy, finally, after my hectoring him, Said, oh, that's the salad guy, isn't he? The salad dressing guy. Salad guy. Oh. So not one of these kids knew. So their whole generation that would never know uh, uh, Marlon Brando or or James Dean or any of that. I don't think they would know. I don't know who they know. Right. They never heard of Paul. That's I. I, I, don't, I never knew Paul personally, but I'm going to do everything I can to resurrect his career. <laughs> I just don't see how you don't know who Paul Newman is. I mean, that's just crazy to me. That's crazy to me. Well, uh, I'll tell you, I think this is going to be a grand experiment this summer. Oh, by the way, if you don't have money and you don't want to donate, there's a place where you can donate some of your time and, your, and what you'd like to do, what you could volunteer for. This will be first week of June, and it'll run through most of the month. And uh, Echo Hill... Gold Star Camp, but echohill.org would get you through to these various webs that I don't understand. 
Sure, sure. No, no. I, they can sign up and get information on it. That's right. Yeah. And I told you, my sister, who's a colonel in the State Department, um, is directing the camp. And she went through the computer looking for other Gold Star camps. And uh, there weren't any. There, there might have been one or two, but as I said, these are family camps. We're not. We're for kids 7 through 12. And by the way, if a kid comes and he likes it, which he will, he can come back every year. That's awesome. I will I will have been bugled to Jesus by that time, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I will have fallen off my perch. But something inside me tells me I'm going to live longer. And not that I'm immortal, but I kind of feel I might be. And then very much like Jesus, I'm a skinny Jew who never, never had a job, never married, never had a home, and very much like Jesus, I traveled across the countryside with a small band of men irritating people. <laughs> and not to be confused now with Jesus or John Lennon, I'm just saying my lifestyle is similar. So, and. Uh, Jesus, I kind of agree with uh, Naomi Judd, who said, wash your hands and say your prayers, because germs in Jesus are everywhere. <laughs> she, was, she was kind of uh, prescient about that, because that's kind of the way things are. Right now, that couldn't be more, absolutely, that's uh, spot on uh, at this point. <laughs> that's, so, a great, that's a great quote. It's a good one. That's a great. And of course, of course, you always have the kinky coat quote, which is, "May the Lord take a liking to you." <laughs> and I also remind you, the... why do I need to be jump started with this one? Oh, if you're, oh, screw it. See, that's the I've got Alzheimer's and AIDS. No, no, I've got Alzheimer's and AIDS. That's what the doctor tells me. And then I oh, then I said, well, at least I don't have AIDS. <laughs> Patrick thought that was really funny. You laughing at an Alzheimer's patient? Not me, I mean. Yes. These guys here. Yes. Yes, I am. I, laugh. yeah, yeah. I love to laugh. It's, it's, uh, it's part of what uh, I, I just love that. I love laughing. Well, try being on a stage and grotch. Austria, which is a home of a Schwarzenegger. So I'd sold out a show there. And right now, anytime I go to Germany, I sell out. I'm kind of the new David Hasselhoff. Kids, <laughs> young people. Right on. I love it. So I'm on this fucking stage, pardon my Shakespeare, of course. <laughs> and the place is sold out. And I'm trying to tell them the same story I told you. Not Polycritus. <laughs> the one about who? Not AIDS. Oh, the one about Glenn Campbell and the Alzheimer's. Yeah. So I was saying, I was trying to tell them about this documentary. You can find it anywhere. Look it up, you know, because he was suffering from, um, and then this was two, three years ago. I couldn't remember the name of the illness. So I'm on this damn stage trying to remember the name Alzheimer's. I cannot see. You guys know it. It's illness. It's one everybody, everybody's got it. 
That's the Joe Biden effect. You know, you know this. We all know. Everybody knows it. We, of course, nobody knows it. In a crowd in Austria, nobody knows it. And I was telling obscure jokes, like a, I'll stop you guys. The first head of the, or the second one of the United Nations, when they sent the satellite into space, inviting everybody from outer space to come down, was an Austrian. And his name was, do you know, Patrick? I don't know. Okay, fuck him. <laughs> and feed him, fuck him and feed him Fruit Loops. Uh, all right, now we've done, we've mentioned anybody that wants to help with the charity thing, please do. And uh, it's going to uh, come back to you really, uh, really good. That's what I think. I just remember the one thing we did like this was when, whenever that was in the early 80s or mid-80s, my dad and mom ran a camp for uh, for black kids, Hispanic kids, and poor urban, rural white kids. Inner city kids, I guess we would call them. Yeah. And nobody in the hill country, much less Texas, was doing that back then. These kids had never met a horse in person. Wow. And the whole staff, our counselors, stayed over as a charity thing too. And they got a little honorarium or something. They didn't know what it was gonna be like. And they were so touched, the counselors now I'm saying, were so moved by this experience. This was just a two week session. Just like any other one we would run at camp, you know, for kids, have fun, have an adventure, meet, meet friends, make, make new friends. But my God, I mean, it was just, a bad hand that was dealt to these kids. That's all it was. They had nothing to do with it. Yeah. And I'll, t I'll tell you, if I gave the opinion that the, the parent has to be someone who is dead, that is not necessarily right. If, if it's a, one of the um, rehab type of things, we've got so many people in there. The guy is at his legs blown up. He's in rehab for 18 months. Well, that's perfect. That that kid, Echo Hill, is a perfect place for him. And Echo Hill is right up there. Echo Hill is magic. And um, I am the only personal guy here, the only member of the Echo Hill Mountain Climbers Association that's around these days. But there will soon be a lot more. Anybody who climbs a hill, be he seven years old or 75. 75, though I read at the 77-year-old level. <laughs> I know I'm repeating myself, but that's one of my better. Well, Patrick, um, maybe one thing I'd like to run out on you, if we could, which is uh, the uh, my latest song. Absolutely, kidding me? Which I wrote in the limo coming down from the hotel this evening. <laughs> it's a... <laughs> and remember, it's a small step from the limo to the gutter. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, this is my newest song, and it's, uh, I'm going to try to do it. Actually, you're the first one who said fuck, so I figured it's okay to say fuck, but I need fuck in this song because if it were to happen that I forget a lyric, what I do in Europe, at least, at least they love it, but it works everywhere, is I just take a shot of Mexican mouthwash. At first I say fuck, and I walk over. I'm on stage. Take a shot of Mexican mouthwash. 
Now the people in in audiences in Europe and Australia, they love that. They think it's performance art. <laughs> and uh, so I hope I don't have to do it. I hope I can do it without even. I don't know. Should I even try? I'd probably do better just not. If I fuck up, then I'll just. All right. So Patrick, this is my newest song. It may be the greatest piece of literature in my entire career. <laughs> Patrick, where are you based? Where, where are you based out of? I'm in Austin, Texas. Austin. By the way, you guys do food too, right? Talk about food? Yeah. Get so, you a big hairy steak. Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of going out of style. They get you a big hairy steak. Nothing's healthier. I and, uh, nice sirloin. A little back by a little Mexican mouthwash. Yeah. Good call. Well, let's try this. It's called. Uh, now that may throw me off. Okay. I wonder what I might need. All right. It's called "Buddy, You're Living My Dream," which may be the best title that I've ever come up with. I love it. But uh, you know who Larry Campbell is, don't you? Yes, sir. The producer, uh, kind of the prince of uh, Americana. Well, Larry produced the last album, Resurrection. Wow. Along with the song, which uh, the video now, I Love You When It Rains. This one will be on the new record. There you go. Now, I've never made it through the song. What the hell happened to Patrick? Uh, he went into a diabetic coma, didn't he? Just... <laughs> oh, there he is. Okay. No, I'm here. I'm here. All right. I don't think I need. Well, okay. It's going to fuck it up. But be ready. What's the name of it? Buddy, I'm living your dream. Buddy, buddy, buddy you're living my dream. <laughs> uh, I may need it, but see, I'm going to have to turn it like that. So. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to turn it right. Buddy, you're living fuck. I get as close as you can to the screen. Okay. Patrick, you all right? Yes, sir. I'm, I'm Patrick Passawayo. Uh, Who the hell is it? Laugh here. Um, <laughs> are, you, are you developing a large case of ennui? <laughs> right, some, here we go. Buddy, you're living my dream. She liked the women and you liked the men. And that's where I thought that the story might end. But love conquers all. That's what they say and tells the world to get out of the way. And buddy, you're living my dream. She loves you, or so it would seem. Now you're king of the castle, and she is your queen. And buddy, you're living my 
You both are much younger than me. Sometimes it takes fresh eyes to see the ways of the world for a boy and a girl who normally never would be. With a tear and with a smile, I gave her away down the aisle. The two of them looked like a storybook. They'd beaten the odds for a while. And buddy, you're living my dream. She loves you, or so it would seem. Now you're king of the castle, and she is your queen. And buddy, you're living in my dream. Many months later, I knocked on his door. He wasn't living a dream anymore. The king of the castle lay dead on the floor. He'd taken his life. No sign of a wife. Just a gun in his hand and a sorrowful note on the door, which said, "Buddy, you're living my dream." She loves you, or so it would seem. Now you're king of the castle, and she is your queen. And buddy, you're living my dream. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a financial pleasure. This could be unfortunate. Wow! Wow, King. It's interesting, isn't it, buddy? I, I'll tell you what, I don't know how that one was written. I did it. I was totally miserable. I, I wrote it completely solo. A lot of times I'll co-write with people, which is good, but you don't want to turn into Pollock readers. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, wow, that was absolutely beautiful. And Thank you, brother. Where the hell is Patrick? Patrick? <laughs> I like Patrick. He's my one friend. He's my imaginary childhood friend. <laughs> you guys are employees, you know. Everybody I work with, I work for them. They work for me. me. We're going to double your salary, in fact. You've been so good. <laughs> as as Willie Nelson once said to Paul regarding Mickey Rayfield, harmonica player, he said, "Paul, this was when Mickey was 17, just just joining him. He said, Paul, is uh, Mickey any good?'" Paul said, he's great. And, Mick, and Willie said, double his salary. They weren't paying him anything. They didn't pay him anything for the first couple of years. <laughs> double his salary. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Right. Well, thank you so much, Kinky. I, I can't tell you how much I um, just, I, I, it's an honor. I mean, it's just been an absolute honor to, uh, to talk to you. Well, and Patrick, right back at you. And I hope you'll check us out at, EchoHill.org, folks, please uh, 
go to the uh, Gold Star camp and uh, check it out. See what you can contribute. You may be surprised. Maybe a lot of stuff. Maybe you're some weird guy that builds birdhouses or something. I mean, not that that's a weird guy. I know a few people. Like that. These two guys right here. But, <laughs> but uh, I, don't, I don't build birdhouses. You don't. Okay. Well, now. <laughs> just, just remember, Patrick. Just remember, falling on your face is still moving forward. <laughs> I think my dad used to tell me that as a kid. I think probably so. Probably, probably yeah. older than your dad, actually. <laughs> I think. I mean, I'm really old. I may not be here much longer. That's why I want you to go to the to the thing. What's the name of the thing? Everybody has one. <laughs> <laughs> no. I want you to go to the damn deal for, uh, no, for uh, I Love You When It Rains. Oh. Love You When It Rains, uh, Kiki Friedman on YouTube. And that'll send you off to all the Kiki Friedman stuff. But you see, be sure and watch that video till the end. There's a surprise ending. Even better than, uh, than Buddy, I'm living your dream. No, Buddy, you're living my dream. <laughs> yeah. Buddy, you're living my dream. Yeah, you are a very sensitive man, Patrick. I can be. My wife says. I think you'll find out that uh, both Floyd and Will, well, couldn't have very aggressive homosexuals. No, I'm saying. What am I saying? I don't know what I'm saying. What? All right, sorry. I don't know where I was. I must have had a nail in my head. I guess. This is a pretty good place to stop, isn't it? I think so. That's that. We want to keep this separate. Keep it, folks. Go to the Gold Star Camp. No kidding. Check us out. You and and also check out YouTube. I love you when it rains. That's right. And Kinky. Thank you. It's been a financial pleasure. Thank you, Kinky, so much, and thank you to uh, to Floyd and the guys helping out uh, there. And Floyd and Ben. Ben was very helpful in this. I thought he did a a really good job, kind of keeping out of the way. And then a lot of people got to be in the stage. I got to be the star. You know. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> All right, I'm ready, ready for my close-up. Okay. All right, let's go. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks, everybody. See you down the highway. The Lone Star Play podcast is produced by Texas Real Food. Go to texasrealfood.com and you can search your city for stores, butchers, restaurants, farmers markets, and more. We're using fresh, artisanal, organic sources. It's a fun site that brings all natural options all together. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, go to thelonestarplay.com. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Until next time. <music>